Hey everyone, welcome to the Building a Financial Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial knowledge. This is episode 15, recorded on April 30th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. Please do your own research. So we'll start out with a market update this week. Uh, We'll get into the Bitcoin news. And then uh, I'm going to do a little segment uh, in this week's episode on Bitcoin versus real estate in the United States. And I'll do a side-by-side comparison, talk about taxation, cash flows, other business risks, and sale and conveyance issues. So with that, uh, we'll take it away. This is the weekly market update that I get from Seeking Alpha. Stocks closed out their worst month in years as investors battled a host of headwinds, including monetary tightening from the Federal Reserve, rising interest rates, worsening inflation, COVID lockdowns in China, and the ongoing war in Ukraine. The Nasdaq fell 13.3% in April, its worst monthly performance since the financial crisis in October 2008. The S&P 500 sank 8.8% for its biggest monthly drop since the onset of the pandemic in March 2020, and the Dow was down 3.9%. The Nasdaq has dropped deeply into bear market territory, now 24% off its high, with tech stocks enduring the worst of the April sell-off. Amazon plunged 14% on Friday in its biggest loss since 2006, after reporting a surprise quarterly loss and issuing weak guidance. Apple tumbled 3.7% after warning supply chain constraints could impact revenues in the current quarter by up to $8 billion. Next week, the Fed is expected to pull the trigger on its first half percentage point rate hike since 2000, and it could begin to reverse its large-scale asset purchases used to stabilize markets during the COVID crisis. So a brutal week in the stock market, um, and uh, definitely the the uh, Fed meeting next week. All eyes will be on that, uh, not only to see what the, the interest rate increase is going to be, but also what the commentary from the Fed is going to be. Most people are thinking they're going to stay the course and they have to keep raising rates because of persistently high inflation, and uh, nothing's really going to stop them until something breaks, and it could be the stock market. We'll just have to see. Uh, also, the volatility of the uh, of some of these stocks has been pretty pretty crazy. And so when people complain about Bitcoin being volatile, all you have to do is look at some of these charts for some of these tech stocks that are down 70%, 60%, 50% from their all-time highs. And you just have to, you just have to shake your head. Okay, moving on to the Bitcoin news. So I have a couple uh, couple items of FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt, to share. Uh, and I've got some commentary on that. Uh, and then uh, a couple more positive pieces that, uh, that, are, that came out this week. So the first one is from CNBC. This was published uh, today, Saturday. Uh, Warren Buffett gives his most expansive explanation for why he doesn't believe in Bitcoin. Bitcoin has steadily been gaining acceptance from the traditional finance and investment world in recent years, 
But Warren Buffett is sticking to his skeptical stance on Bitcoin. He said at the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting Saturday that it's not a productive asset and it doesn't produce anything tangible. Despite a shift in public perception about the cryptocurrency, Buffett still won't buy it. Whether it goes up or down in the next year or five or 10 years, I don't know. But the one thing I'm pretty sure of is that it doesn't produce anything, Buffett said. It's got a magic to it, and people have attached magics to lots of things. Even Bitcoin enthusiasts tend to regard the cryptocurrency as a passive asset that investors buy and hold and hope to see increase in price over a long period. Buffett himself commented that there's nobody that's short on Bitcoin. Everyone's a long-term holder. For more sophisticated crypto investors, some coins offer a way for them to use their crypto productively, either through lending or as collateral to create additional portfolio benefits. However, they're still young, highly speculative, and haven't broken into the mainstream like Bitcoin. Buffett elaborated on why he doesn't see value in Bitcoin, comparing it to things that generate other types of value. If you said for a 1% interest in all the farmland in the United States, pay our group $25 billion, I'll write you a check this afternoon, Buffett said. For $25 billion, I now own 1% of the farmland. If you offer me 1% of all the apartment houses in the country and you want another $25 billion, I'll write you a check. It's very simple. Now, if you told me you own all the Bitcoin in the world and you offered it to me for $25, I wouldn't take it. Because what would I do with it? I'd have to sell it back to you one way or another. It isn't going to do anything. The apartments are going to produce rent and the farms are going to produce food. Investors for years have been puzzled over how to value Bitcoin in part because of its potential to serve different functions. In Western markets, it has been established as an investment asset, particularly in the past year, as rates and inflation have been on the rise. In other markets, people still see enormous potential for its use as digital cash. Assets to have value have to deliver something to somebody, and there's only one currency that's accepted. You can come up with all kinds of things. We can put up Berkshire coins, but in the end, this is money, he said, holding up a $20 bill. And there's no reason in the world why the United States government is going to let Berkshire money replace theirs. Both Buffett and Charlie Munger have made hostile comments toward Bitcoin in the past. Most famously, Buffett said Bitcoin is probably rat poison squared. Munger doubled down on that sentiment Saturday. In my life, I try and avoid things that are stupid and evil and make me look bad in comparison to somebody else. And Bitcoin does all three, Munger said. In the first place, it's stupid because it's likely it's still likely to go to zero. It's evil because it undermines the Federal Reserve System. And third, it makes us look foolish compared to the communist leader in China. He was smart enough to ban Bitcoin in China. So when you look at this and you take a step back, what are they really saying? On the one hand, it's true. Uh, Bitcoin is not a productive asset, but neither is gold, neither is silver. And Yes, you can hold up the $20 bill and say that, yes, this is the currency of the United States, and it certainly is. And nothing else is going to replace that. But it's also losing 8.5% of its value this year. And it's programmed to lose value as part of the Federal Reserve System's uh, monetary policy. 
I mean, their goal is 2%. They're obviously not anywhere near that now, but a dollar today is not going to buy a dollar's worth of goods in five or 10 years. So the whole concept of, and again, what these guys don't understand probably because they're just not into technology and they don't, or maybe they do understand it and they're just, you know, rooting for the system that's made them rich, you know, but, um, uh, you know, uh, this is an absolutely scarce asset. It is a savings technology. It's a place to put your money and know that your money is still going to be there. Uh, there's a global demand for, for an, an asset like this. Um, and uh, whether it becomes the base of the new monetary system in the future or not, um, it's just as good of a, a, a hedge against inflation and a savings technology as gold or silver or platinum. In fact, superior uh, to that uh, based on, you know, uh, it's, you know, the ability to store it and transfer it easily. And, you know, uh, you can self-custody it in large quantities uh, without needing a vault and a Brinks truck, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things that I've talked about before. So the vitriol here just seems to me to be overplayed. And they're obviously, there's a lot more to this than just, oh, you know, it's not like an apartment building or it's not like a farmland. It's, it's a threat to the system that made these guys wealthy, to be honest. And so um, it's really kind of disappointing because I've always kind of looked up to, to uh, uh, Warren Buffett as, a, as an investor. And he's a great investor. There's no question about that. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to technology, I think uh, he's, he's not always... Uh, not always on top of his game. So those are my thoughts on that. Uh, then the next one here, some more FUD. Uh, World Economic Forum shares a video about changing Bitcoin's code to proof of stake. Um, in recent times, there's been there have been a lot of arguments about the energy consumption used by cryptocurrency miners and how it impacts the global environment. Politicians and regulators have been targeting the mining industry on a regular basis. Additionally, the Environmental Global Campaigning Network, Greenpeace, with the help of Ripple Labs co-founder Chris Larson, started a campaign to get Bitcoin's code changed so it will be friendlier to the environment. The web portal cleanupbitcoin.com states, you've heard Bitcoin fuels the climate crisis, but did you know a software code change could clean it up? World Economic Forum has shown that it agrees with the Greenpeace campaign, change the code, not the climate. On April 26th, the, the World Economic Forum tweeted about the possibility of Bitcoin changing to a proof of stake network, the same WEF that has been promoting the Great Reset Agenda shared an accompanying video clip that claims miners could stake their own Bitcoins to verify transactions. A simple basic change in coding could eliminate most of the network's energy demands at a stroke, the video says. WF's video mentions the Greenpeace-led change the code effort and the campaigners who believe the controversial idea is possible. The WF video and blog post got a lot of criticism 
from cryptocurrency supporters after it was published. A number of individuals said the Switzerland-based WF's talking points had faults in the assumptions underpinning the group's entire theory. The authors of this are really confused about basic fundamentals. The co-founder and CEO of Blockstream, Adam Back, said, replying to the WF tweet, responding to Back's comments, one individual stressed, Adam, I don't think they're confused. I think they know exactly what the F they are doing. It's a calculated, well-orchestrated attack on Bitcoin. Back noted that either way, the WF's arguments are economically confused and the statement should be scientifically debunked for that reason. They should be ashamed to say such nonsense so they can at least have a discussion while being coherent, the Blockstream co-founder insisted. In addition to Back's comments, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor had also responded to the WF's tweet and video about Bitcoin changing to POS. If you remove the energy from anything useful, you can almost eliminate its environmental impact, Saylor said. This is most common in fantasy novels and computer games. Real planes, trains, automobiles, homes, food, medicine, machines, and money all benefit from energy. So do real people. The creator of the Bitcoin stock to flow price model, Plan B, also rubbed the WF's Great Reset agenda into the conversation. Plan B said at least this WF attack or misinformation on Bitcoin is consistent with the WF mission. Uh, and then he posted uh, a, uh, uh, a little uh, picture that shows uh, their campaign uh, slogan that you'll own nothing and be happy. Accompanying Plan B's text was a photo of the controversial WF tweet. Uh, this is how our world could change by 2030. However, the WF tweet has been deleted by the owner of the Twitter account and only exists on archive.org's Wayback Machine. So uh, last week I talked a lot about FUD, and if you listened through the whole episode, thank you, because it was a long one. But um, obviously the energy FUD has been a, a, a big one. And, um, uh, you know, the the actual energy usage of Bitcoin on the proof of work uh protocol is minuscule <clears throat> and uh, it, it, it provides the highest level of security and the highest level of decentralization. When you go to proof of stake, it allows for more centralization of the cryptocurrency like Ethereum, like a lot of these other ones. And, and then it can be controlled just like a fiat currency. So uh, really uh, it, you know, cryptocurrencies that are centralized are really no different at all from fiat currencies in that they they can be controlled and their supply can be manipulated and therefore the value of it can be, uh, you know, diminished over time. So um, anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this proceeds. But uh, even if they were to do a, quote, hard fork of the Bitcoin chain, uh, which has happened before, um, uh, most of the users of Bitcoin would probably uh, stay with the original Bitcoin, just like it did the last couple of times, because uh, Bitcoin Cash was a hard fork. And um, uh, so was Bitcoin SV. And, uh, you know, although they have some uh, users, there's just it's not anywhere near the the adoption rate of, of the original Bitcoin. So more to come on that, but, uh, you know, there's uh, an awful lot of FUD uh, out there. So um, seems like people are worried about Bitcoin.
that's that's my takeaway people in powerful places okay on the positive news side we have uh, central this is from cnbc this was published on april 28th um, this was kind of late breaking news i think i got it into my um got it into my um, Substack last week, but uh, didn't. this popped up after I'd done the podcast last week. But anyway, Central African Republic becomes second country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So the Central African Republic has become the second country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as official currency after El Salvador took the same step last year. Lawmakers in the CAR's parliament voted unanimously to pass a bill legalizing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, according to a statement from the presidency. Bitcoin will be considered legal tender alongside the regional Central African CFA Franc. Obed Namcio, chief of staff to President Faustin Arshang Tuadera, called the move a decisive step toward opening up new opportunities for our country according to Reuters. The CAR is rich in diamonds, gold, and other valuable minerals, but ranks as one of the world's poorest and least developed countries. Roughly 71% of CAR's 5.4 million inhabitants were living below the international poverty line in 2020, according to the World Bank. The country, which is landlocked in the heart of Africa, has been gripped by political instability and violence for years. The big question is who the cryptocurrency ruling is for. David Gerard, an independent author who has followed crypto closely over the years, told CNBC. Internet coverage in the CAR is 11%. Perhaps the government has been told that, that this will bootstrap payments in the country, but it's not clear how. The move to consider Bitcoin legal tender received praise from the crypto community and was hailed as another step toward mainstream adoption of cryptocurrencies but it can also be viewed as controversial. There were protests in El Salvador after the country introduced the Bitcoin law, and the country also faced criticism from the International Monetary Fund. The IMF has urged El Salvador to drop Bitcoin as legal tender, flagging concerns over the risks it poses to financial stability and consumer protection. Bitcoin is a notoriously volatile asset, which raises questions about its role as a standard method of payment, it was last trading at around 39,686 Thursday, down 6% in the last 24 hours. The cryptocurrency has lost 42% of its value since its all-time peak above 68,000 in November. Many Western governments have raised the alarm about the potential use of cryptocurrencies by Russia to evade sanctions amid the country's invasion of Ukraine. CAR is a close ally of Russia, with Russian mercenaries having provided direct assistance to the government, according to the UN. Experts suggest the move could help small countries like the CAR reduce their dependence on the U.S. dollar for global trade. Ronsu Salovara, CEO of crypto platform Liquidity, noted that the dollar has been the global oil currency since the 1950s. Oil dependence is a major issue now because of the Ukraine and the SWIFT banking ban, so global unstoppable cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin can really shine, he added. So another country goes goes for uh, legal tender, uh, which is nothing but good news for uh, Bitcoin adoption as, as, uh, as it moves forward. I think, as I mentioned last, last week, and uh, 
in, in last week's podcast, um, El Salvador has actually benefited tremendously from adopting Bitcoin, it seems, in terms of uh, you know, the improvement in its economy, uh, tourism and the like. Um, so, you know, maybe the same thing will happen in the Central African Republic. Uh, the next bit of news isn't legal tender, but it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, also significant, um, Bitcoin country news. This one here is from, uh, Reuters. Uh, this was, uh, published on April 28th. Panama passes bill to permit use of crypto assets. Lawmakers in Panama's National Assembly on Thursday approved a bill to regulate the use and commercialization of crypto assets in the Central American country, renowned as a hub of offshore financial services. The bill opens the door to private and public use of crypto assets and will make it possible for people to pay their taxes with cryptocurrencies. Experts warned it could heighten Panama's reputation as a place lacking financial transparency. The legislation is broader in scope than measures passed by El Salvador, which last year made Bitcoin legal tender, said independent lawmaker and promoter of the bill, Gabriel Silva. We're seeing the emergence of many different types of crypto assets like works of art, he said. That's why we didn't want to limit ourselves only to cryptocurrencies. The bill covers the trading and use of crypto assets, issuance of digital securities, new payment systems, and the tokenization of precious metals. Tokenization is when rights to an asset are converted into digital formats. Under the new legislation, Panamanians may use crypto assets as a means of payment for any civil or commercial operation not prohibited by law in the country. Panama is on the European Union's list of tax havens, and Romain Dromard, chief executive officer at financial investment advisory firm KMB Family Office, said the crypto bill would not help it appear more transparent. Panama was already in a bad position, and these payment methods skip the due diligence processes that international organizations are asking Panama to embrace, he said. The bill, which now passes to President Laurentino Cortizo to be signed, was approved in the Assembly with 38 votes in favor, two abstentions, and no votes against. Belisario Castillo Saenz, chief executive officer of tokenization firm Fianor Corp., argued that crypto assets could help the unbanked given that internet penetration is high in Panama, but only one in four people have bank accounts. The bill could also make banks that have created barriers to using cryptocurrencies more cooperative, said Jose Fabrega of Crypto Spa, a hub for crypto blockchain services. Still, KMB's Dromard said the role banks will play under the new rules is unclear and forecasts that it will take years for traditional institutions to use the assets. In addition, small and medium businesses would not be able to switch to such highly volatile assets, he argued. Uh, so, again, uh, more good news, I think, from an adoption standpoint here. And um, um, I didn't get this from this article, but I did read somewhere that um, uh, Panama has a will treat the assets as considered offshore. So for purposes of a Panamanian resident, um, if you're transacting in offshore assets, they're not taxable. So there's there's definitely some tax benefits associated with uh, with this this law, even though it's not legal tender. Um, from a tax standpoint, if it's not taxable, then you know really who cares. 
Okay, and then the last article I have here to go over on the Bitcoin News Roundup this week is, uh, this is from Bitcoin.com. This was just updated here recently. Swiss National Bank, buying Bitcoin is not a problem for us. Uh, the Swiss National Bank could buy and hold Bitcoin as a reserve currency if the cryptocurrency meets the bank's currency reserves requirements, Chairman Thomas Jordan reportedly said at the central bank's annual general meeting Friday. The Swiss central bank chief was quoted by Reuters as saying, buying Bitcoin is not a problem for us. We can do that either directly or can buy investment products which are based on Bitcoin. However, he noted, but from the current perspective, we do not believe Bitcoin meets the requirements of currency reserves. That's why we have until now decided not to have Bitcoin on our balance sheet. Nonetheless, he stressed, we can arrange the technical and operative conditions relatively quickly when we're convinced we must have Bitcoin in our balance sheet. A growing number of corporations are holding Bitcoin on their balance sheets while more countries are establishing a framework to make Bitcoin a legal currency. El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar in September last year, and recently the Central African Republic made the crypto an official currency. Meanwhile, an increasing number of people are expecting the U.S. dollar to lose its dominance, fueled by the Russia-Ukraine war. Rich Dad Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki, for example, has repeatedly warned about the end of the U.S. dollar. Renowned investor Jim Rogers also warned in March about the end of the U.S. dollar. So this is um, interesting because, you know, one of the theories in Bitcoin is game theory. And uh, the more adoption, you know, the early adopters kind of force the hand of the later adopters. So if you have someone who's adopted uh, Bitcoin, you know, say a, 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 co a company, um, uh, other companies are eventually as Bitcoin you know, adoption grows, they're going to be a disadvantage and they're going to end up having to buy in at a higher price. Same thing goes for central banks. Same thing goes for individuals. So um, uh, it's just interesting that a central bank is even talking about this, that hey, it's we don't have it now and we don't think it's appropriate now, but we're ready if we need to. It's just, a, it's just really interesting um, to hear that. Um, because, again, a few years ago, nobody thought a, a, a country would adopt it as legal tender, and now we have two. So um, anyway, uh, bodes well for adoption, and uh, that is a wrap on the Bitcoin news for the week. So moving on, I thought what would be really interesting and instructive, uh, you know, since I have, you know, quite a bit of experience over the years with real estate. Uh, if you're interested, I, I wrote a book on getting started in real estate investing uh, based on some work I did um, back in uh, the Great Recession. Um, bought some condos. And, <clears throat> um, and so uh, anyway, been a real estate investor for many years, um, been a Bitcoin investor not, not too long. And so um, I thought it would be good to just kind of do a side-by-side -side comparison, um, looking at taxation, cash flows, other business risks, and then sale and conveyance issues. Because, you know, when I went through this, it's, it's really sort of compelling to me um, that you, 
you'd probably rather own Bitcoin than you would real estate. And I'm just going to start with that. And everybody's going to say, well, you're crazy. So let me just go through the thought process. So starting with taxation. So number one is property taxes. So real estate obviously is subject to property taxes. It varies by jurisdiction here in California. It's, you know, uh, there's, there's something called prop prop 13. So it sort of caps the amount on residential property and commercial property it caps the amount that your property tax valuation can go up each year at 2%. Um, but then when you sell it, of course it gets revalued and then whoever buys it has to, has to pay tax at that, that rate. But lots of other places in the United States don't have anything like that. So, so every year the property goes up in value, your property tax increases, you know, more and more and more. And, um, and I don't know what the percentages are in, in other, uh, in other states, but, you know, here it's anywhere from one, one and a half to 2%, depending on what other, you know, um, property taxes you have in your area besides just the base tax, but it's pretty significant. So real estate has property taxes. Bitcoin does not. So that to me is a significant um, differentiator. Now, depreciation. So for, for real estate, you can, you can write off the, the cost of the building. Uh, so you have to, when you buy it, you have to allocate the cost between building and land. You can't depreciate land, but you can depreciate the building. And for residential real estate, it's 27 and a half years. <clears throat> and so what that does, you're able to deduct that against your income, uh, your net income from the property. So you take the rent minus your operating costs. You can subtract depreciation and that can reduce or maybe even eliminate any taxable income. So, um, so that's great. Um, there's no such concept like that in Bitcoin. Um, however, when you sell the property, uh, there's something called depreciation recapture, which means that a portion of your gain gets taxed at a higher rate than, um, and it can even approach your ordinary income tax rate, um, um, to the extent that you've depreciated the property. So they, you get a benefit while you own the asset, but then they, they kind of claw it back a little bit at the end when you sell. Um, both assets would be subject to the net investment income tax, which is currently 3.8%. That's courtesy of Obamacare. It was something I remember writing about it when it, when it was first being proposed, and I was very, very opposed to it. It got enacted anyway because it was a way for them to fund Obamacare. Um, <clears throat> but it would apply to any net income or net, you know, gains uh, from sale. So it would apply equally to Bitcoin or real estate. Um, both Bitcoin and real estate are going to be subject to capital gains taxes. So if you own it for more than a year, you'll, depending on your income level, pay 15% or 20% for long-term gains. And then for short-term gains, which are less than a year, you can pay, you'll pay at your ordinary income rate, income tax rate, which could go all the way up to 37%. Um, so there's really no differentiation there. And um, 
The only other thing worth mentioning, and I did do uh, cover this in a couple podcasts ago, was is uh, 1031 exchanges. You can defer taxes um, by doing a 1031 exchange where you, when you sell a real property and then um, put the money into a qualified intermediary and then use those proceeds to buy another property, you can defer paying taxes. You will pay the taxes eventually um, when you, you know, ultimately at the end when you sell the property, um, unless the property passes to your heirs and then it gets stepped up. So there's, there's really no similar concept for Bitcoin. But I do think that the property taxes is a is 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 pretty uh, is a pretty important differentiating factor, and then in in almost all the other cases except, and even with depreciation, I mean it's kind of like you get the deduction now and you get the tax benefit now, but you know when you sell the property later, unless you do a ten thirty one exchange, um, you sort of have to pay it back. So by and large most of the taxation is very similar between bitcoin and real estate like i said the big the big uh, the big differentiator in my mind is property taxes and the 1031 exchange um when you look at cash flows very similar um can they generate cash flow yield real estate yes um you know your your rent minus your operating costs um, as long as it's positive you're getting positive cash flow for Bitcoin you you know if you are willing to take that risk you can um, loan it to someone and they will pay you a yield on it now a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners say why would you do that you might earn two percent but not your keys not your coins etc cetera, etc cetera. so um, Hopefully there will be ways in the future where you can you can um, retain ownership of your Bitcoin and still be able to lend it out, but I'm not sure how that would actually work because uh, you're basically lending the Bitcoin to somebody to use, and then they at the end of the lending term they pay, they give you your Bitcoin back, and during the term they pay you in Bitcoin at whatever the yield is. So, um, but. The point is, is that you can generate yield from Bitcoin. Also, uh, you can use, uh, you know, um, real estate for a loan collateral and Bitcoin for loan collateral. Now, the loan to value ratios might be different. I think like if you have investment property, you might be able to borrow 75 percent, maybe even 80 percent to actually acquire the property. Um, But uh, but. You know, you I don't know what the loan to value ratios are on, on Bitcoin, but, <clears throat> you know, you probably wouldn't want to borrow that much against your Bitcoin anyway, just in case if the price dropped, you wouldn't want to lose your coins, um, you know, if, if the loan got called. So, um, but the point, again, is that can you borrow against those assets? Yes. So I think from a cash flow standpoint, um, both are, you know, pretty similar. Now, when you talk about other business risks, you know, they're both regulated as property. So they, they have similar uh, qualities in that respect. Um, physical location risk. So this is fire, flood, disaster, riots, etc. 
you don't have that with Bitcoin because it doesn't it's it's in it's in cyberspace, but you do with real estate. You, you definitely have physical location risk, so that's a pretty significant one. Um, security. So how does security work? Uh, you know, for Bitcoin, you have a digital key. For uh, a, a piece of real property, you have a physical key. So. Um, but obviously, you know, security is important in both cases, um, um, but you can maintain control and security uh, over your Bitcoin, um, you know, using a hardware wallet and you can do it in the comfort of your home. It's a lot harder for you to physically secure your uh, rental property. You know, I mean, yeah, you can have a key, but, you know, you can't really stop people from breaking in or, or whatever. Uh, of course, nobody's going to steal your your house, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, so there's that concept of security. Then we kind of move into tenant leasing vacancy risk. So this is you know you got you got to rent the property, um, you have to collect the rent. Hopefully they pay. Um, maybe they move out, then you have to find someone else, and then you don't have any rent coming in. Um, so you don't have that with Bitcoin. You definitely have that with, with rental property. Uh, maintenance and repair costs. Toilets leaking, water damage, water heaters failing and needing to be replaced. Um, you know, appliances failing and needing to be replaced, electricians. I mean, you name it. Uh, you get all of that with, with real estate. And you don't have that issue with Bitcoin at all. And then um, property and liability insurance. You know, obviously you have property liability exposure, which is why you need insurance. So if somebody slips and falls, they hurt themselves on your property, they can sue you. So that's why you have to have insurance. Or, you know, if there's a disaster and the place gets destroyed, you have to have insurance for that too. You don't need that for Bitcoin. So when I look at on balance at business risks, um, it's definitely massively tilted uh, uh, towards Bitcoin is, is really having lower, you know, business risks. Um, yeah, much, uh, much simpler, easier asset to <clears throat> sort of own and, and manage, if you will, compared to, to real property, which is, you know, much more complex, I guess, and, and risky. And then, uh, so that to me is a big one. So, so again, you go back to the, you know, the taxes are, you know, more or less the same. There's, you know, some advantage to Bitcoin on property taxes, but then there's some advantage to, to, um, real estate as it relates to the 1031 exchange and the ability to defer those, those capital gains taxes. Uh, and maybe some short-term benefits of depreciation until they, they come at you when you sell. Cash flows are very similar, but business risks are definitely stilted towards the um, real property and, and, and away from, from Bitcoin. So Bitcoin doesn't really have those types of risks. And then when you get into sale and conveyance issues, so ease of transfer to another party. If you look at Bitcoin, it's very simple and instant. You know, you just enter the address that you're sending the Bitcoin to, and then 10 minutes later, it's confirmed. Um, versus 
when you sell your property, you have to hire a real estate agent, you have to market it, you have to get it into escrow, you have to, you know, uh, the buyer has to get a loan, they have to go through inspections, you know, it's 30 days, maybe 45 or longer uh, to by the time from, you know, the time you go into escrow till when you close. Um, so it's it's very complex and a very lengthy process to dispose of a piece of real property, but it's quite simple and easy and fast to do it uh, with Bitcoin. Um, does the transfer require a third party like escrow for Bitcoin? No, because it's peer to peer. But for uh, for real estate, yes. And not only does it require a third party escrow, it requires lots of other third parties. I mean, you need to have a termite inspection to here, at least in California. So you have to have a company come and do that. You have to have a home inspector come and do a home inspection. The buyer usually wants that. Um, you've got real estate agents on both sides of the transaction. Um, you've got the title company that, that issues the title policy. Um, sometimes there's lawyers involved that have to look at things. Uh, if there's a trust involved or, or whatever. Um, so, and then of course there's the lender who's going to be loaning the money for the, for the buyer and they're going to have all kinds of fees. They're going to have, you know, so there's just all these, an appraiser, you know, et cetera. So there's just, there's a lot of cost and a lot of third parties involved. And that's the last thing is really just the cost to sell, transfer the property is really very low for Bitcoin and very high for real estate. So when I go through this thought exercise of Bitcoin versus real estate, it's kind of funny, but I, I really conclude that, you know, Bitcoin is probably a better investment uh, than real estate, um, especially if you can generate some yield off of it, if you're willing to take that risk. But even if not, um, you can always borrow out um, if you need cash flow from your asset. Um, you can always borrow against it. and um, you know, because it's absolutely scarce. And as adoption, like I talked about earlier, continues to grow throughout the world over the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you kind of expect the price is going to continue to trend upward. Um, it's probably going to be very volatile between here and there. But so there should be plenty of asset value to, to borrow against should you need, you know, to, to get cash. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's just it was I just thought it was a very interesting uh, thought thought exercise. So hopefully you enjoyed that, and uh, and I will probably uh, I, I have like a graphic, so I'll probably put this into my Substack, and this, that'll be kind of the topic of the Substack this week. Uh, so if you want to check that out. All right. So thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. And also don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert, N-I-C-K-R-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.